Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Navigating COVID-19, Supporting Individuals with Dementia and Their Caregivers. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on June 23, 2020. In this podcast, Freddie Segal Gadan, Director of the USC Rancho CADC and Assistant Professor of Clinical Neurology and Family Medicine at the Keck School of Medicine at USC, discusses considerations for providers and healthcare systems during the COVID-19 pandemic. I want to now move on to um, understanding these changes in the person with Alzheimer's and their caregiver, what considerations for providers and healthcare systems um, need to occur um, uh, with this population in mind. Um, uh, so next slide, please. Uh, so health systems um, and medical providers need to think about uh, providing support for people with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias during COVID, I would suggest in a proactive way. Um, there is really uh, no one-size-fits-all model and quite honestly, we're all learning as we go here. Um, so having a culture within a health system that recognizes that there are populations with special needs, populations at higher risk, um, and that this population with dementia is one of these populations, I think is the first step. Um, and health plans and providers can establish and implement specific strategies for working with um, uh, people with dementia and with their caregivers. Um, and so I think about it in these sort of three buckets of people with known Alzheimer's disease or other dementia, people um, who are in your health plan or uh, who are you providing care for who have an underlying cognitive impairment or dementia but are not yet diagnosed, um, and then people without cognitive issues who present with delirium who are a separate population. So for those we know in our um, health plans and in our medical practices who have a dementia illness, Having a plan where we reach out to these individuals, to their families and their caregivers, provide information on the signs of COVID-19 infection, strategies on how to deal with um, the changes that are going on in our environment and the risk for infection, I think are important. Um, in our um, practice, we actually uh, identified our active patients with dementia illnesses, which is the majority of our patient population, and created a letter that went out to um, caregivers and patients, letting them know about um, early signs and symptoms and know, letting them know how to contact us and what to do. Um, uh, educating staff on how to handle a call about an infection that may be COVID-19 from a distressed family member or somebody with a mental illness who is in the early stages is important. This is not your typical patient. And if the staff don't recognize that this is an individual with dementia that's known in your population or a caregiver, their advice may not be appropriate given the unique issues in this population. Um, so there's also this undiagnosed population sitting in many health systems and practices that we know. People who have um, dementia, maybe mild, maybe moderate, depending, but who are not diagnosed. It's not part of their chart. It hasn't been recognized. So we have to think about establishing steps. Take if someone presents with delirium, confusion, uh, change in alertness or other signs of uh, maybe of dementia and delirium, that this may be a person who has an underlying undiagnosed dementia illness. And when we get them through this acute confusion state, how are we going to address this undiagnosed problem that may be lurking there? Um, and if there's a missed dementia, what is the pro 
protocol within the health plan, within the practice for bringing this person in for further evaluation and testing now that they've shown signs of possible um, dementia illness by their presentation. Um, and then there are the people who are um, presenting with delirium who are older adults who don't have um, an underlying dementia. Uh, and so we have to re recognize that delirium can be the first presentation of a dementia, but that not everyone with delirium has a known or undiagnosed dementia and not um, automatically assume that the older adult presenting with a delirium um, who is not diagnosed with dementia will have a dementia post-delirium. Um, so understanding that this needs some processes in the health plan to deal with this situation. Next slide. So there's additional ways on the health plans and providers can support individuals with Alzheimer's disease at the health system level. Um, this is a new environment um, that's been created by COVID and we're all learning new ways of functioning. So ensuring that all levels of the health system are aware of the threat that COVID-19 presents to the person with Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. So everything from um, the emergency room to the uh, laboratory to the uh, inpatient hospital system has to have a, a slightly different tilt and awareness and um, approach to dealing with the person who, may, who has an underlying dementia illness. Um, strongly consider having um, geriatric interdisciplinary care teams. If you already have one, that's great. If you don't, then thinking about developing one that can be addressing the special needs and unique needs of this population in the various settings within the health system. Um, and I would suggest that telehealth is an example that can actually facilitate the development of teams or enable providers to use these teams by creating um, consultation services that meet without being in the same room, bringing multiple providers and multiple specialties together, um, video conferencing, group emails, discussion groups, should be considered a way of enhancing interprofessional care team functioning uh, and even creating interprofessional care team function where it doesn't exist. So COVID may present an opportunity for us to do things differently in many ways that can enhance care during COVID and post-COVID. Um, looking for opportunities to integrate dementia care across your organization so it's not siloed just in specialty psychiatry or specialty geriatrics or specialty neurology or wherever that silo may be, but for integration across medical specialties and um, um, across professions, so where the nursing is involved, laboratory is involved, um, um, home health services are involved in, in, in integrated dementia care. Uh, consider the use of an identified single person, a dementia care navigator, um, to assist caregivers and families and patients with Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. This is a tool that's been used um, in non-COVID times, but has um, increasing importance in COVID times, where there's a single person in your organization who's the communicator, both with patients on a consistent basis and the communicator between patients and providers. This can be a point person or several people, depending on the uh, structure of your organization, but it certainly can help to coordinate and uh, improve care for individuals and families when um, there is a dementing illness and COVID is a time when this kind of person becomes a, a very valued member of the healthcare team. Um, and for the person with Alzheimer's disease and related uh, disorder, making sure you identify a primary contact person, um, with, uh, who's the caregiver, 
who's going to be the contact person for this individual that you as a health plan can um, reach out to or the dementia care navigator can reach out to and maybe establishing time for regular updates. Maybe it's not a regular appointment, but there's a monthly check-in. Um, and particularly for a hospitalized person, that might be a daily check-in at a certain time where this one person for the family is going to get a call from somebody in the health plan to tell them what's going on with the person in the hospital or the person in the nursing home um, so that the family is kept abreast of what's going on and isn't um, making multiple phone calls. So a kind of um, regular plan for contact is something that may actually avoid complications and minimize um, hospitalizations and emergency room visits for these individuals. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so one of the issues we face with COVID and um, with individuals with Alzheimer's disease and dementia in particular is the last place we want people with Alzheimer's and other dementias to be is in the hospital um, in usual times. And in COVID, this is really no different. Um, we need to think about how can we minimize hospitalization and intensive care unit placements for people with um, dementing illnesses. Um, and this requires uh, family and caregiver support strategies ahead of time. Uh, enhanced outreach, as I suggested, where there might be uh, a person who contacts family members on a regular basis, um, somebody who is um, tasked with making sure that individuals and their families who have these uh, um, vulnerable populations are provided support through the health plan. Uh, engagement with the person with Alzheimer's disease and the family prior to COVID infection, setting up a system that can then be used during the pandemic but if you don't have such a system, thinking about creating it. Um, and this um, is, a, again, an opportunity, an opportunity for collaborative and proactive work within a health plan to develop a system of support for patients with Alzheimer's disease and other dementia illnesses um, that can best serve them and the health plan at the same time. So prior to a potential hospitalization, um, family and caregivers should develop a detailed plan in the event of a COVID infection. So this is advanced care planning in light of COVID, but it's really no different than advanced care planning um, prior to COVID. So we encourage all families to create a uh, single sheet of paper that includes lists of current medications, names, dosages, um, frequencies, a list of comorbidities, um, the person's primary language. Um, a friend of mine who was working in um, uh, the hospital during COVID here in Los Angeles said one of the issues that they had where people were coming in where uh, no one knew what their primary language was and tried to find somebody who could identify what that language was and speak to that person in that language and realize that the person was not making sense but was speaking, um, in this case, they were speaking Armenian and they were, it was salad soup, but people thought this person was saying something when they weren't saying something of substance. So knowing what the person's primary language is and if you know the primary languages in your health system, then making sure you identify individuals who can act as translators as well as technology that can help us with translation, although some of that technology has been found to be difficult to use um, with individuals with dementia. Uh, understanding the severity of someone's dementia, so including the type of dementia the person was diagnosed with on this sheet of paper and um, when they were diagnosed, so it's different if somebody was diagnosed six months ago versus someone who was diagnosed six years ago. And most importantly, I would say, is the name and contact number for a family member or other primary contact so that individuals in the hospital 
in the ED, on the unit, in the ICU, if people progress, know who is the person that is to be contacted for this individual in the hospital when we're not allowing family members to come in. So who is that primary contact person? And they serve as the sort of um, means of, of the bridge between the family and the um, individual in the hospital. Um, and if it's not provided at admission, if people don't appear with this paperwork, um, that you haven't proactively done it, maybe you have a form that you can request this information um, at the time of hospitalization in order to deliver uh, what we know is really important, which is person-centered care, uh, where we take into account the individual and um, not um, assume that everybody should be given cookie-cutter care, even in the time of COVID. Next slide, please. So um, when it does happen, then we have somebody who's hospitalized, um, and if they deteriorate to the point in the ICU when they have dementia, there are, again, certain special considerations that we need to take in uh, consideration for this population. Um, people with um, ADRD require different intervention than others when receiving care in the hospital. This is true in usual times, but even more in this time. So a plan to prepare staff to care for people with ADRD in the hospital or in the ICU is important. And I would suggest that this plan should be developed um, from the ground up rather than from leadership down. A plan where individuals on the unit, in the ICU, in the ED, wherever the, the care is being delivered, who know the personalities in that system, they know uh, the needs in that system, and it's not just the health professionals, but it's also including the housekeeping staff um, and the nurses' aides and the other people involved in what, what is the plan and how are we going to create a plan that allows us um, has, um, as a unit to best meet the needs of people with dementing illness um, when they're brought into our ED or into our ICU. Um, again, the issue of personalized care is really important um, and uh, requesting that staff include a picture on their, of their face on the gowns when people are in full PPE in these spacesuits. It is frightening for individuals who are um, sick and don't have dementia, and for the person with dementia illness, it can be incredibly frightening. So we learned this from the Ebola crisis, the need for personal identification of people in, um, in these spacesuits, in the PPE, um, having someone's picture um, so that people can know who the face person is behind the mask, their name in large letters so the person can read their name, because again, communicating through a mask can be difficult. Um, very, very important to think about personalized care and how we can personalize care for persons with dementia when they are brought into the hospital or further into the ICU. And I would point out that the National Center on Advancing Person-Centered Care Practices and Systems has developed a healthcare person-centered profile tool that can assist with COVID-19 person-centered care planning. Um, and we've linked, we have a link to this tool at the end of the presentation. Um, uh, next slide, please. Um, so quickly, um, things to think about in the hospital and ICU that are considerations for making challenges for people with Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. Um, isolation, use of gowns and masks, noise from machines, hospital noise can cause increased confusion, sleep problems, behavioral problems with anxiety and agitation, um, hearing difficulties related to the use of masks. So thinking about having a pocket talker or hearing assistive devices that can aid. But these are all situations that um, lead to the development of delirium 
um, in the hospital that we want to try to minimize. Um, and preparing for these behavioral changes by thinking about assigning a care manager to provide additional bedside contact, direct communication with family. Again, having that one person whose job it is to do this, not an added job. Um, and using technology uh, at the bedside, having iPads, having um, uh, access to technology at the bedside can improve communication between persons with dementia and their caregivers. Um, training on this technology is something we're all getting up on, but doing it as part of an expected practice, I think, is something that is what COVID is teaching us has to be part of the way we deliver care. Next slide. I want to quickly go through uh, a case. Um, Mrs. C phones and informs the primary care provider um, that her husband, Mr. C, who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, he's in the mild early stages, fell in the bathroom three days ago and has been in bed sleeping a lot, is more confused, and today he has a cough and a fever of 100 degrees Fahrenheit. She's worried he may have COVID and she's not sure what to do. So she calls the health plan, she calls the medical provider and saying, you know, this is what, what do you tell me to do? Next slide. So um, primary care provider reassures Mrs. C that she doesn't need to call 911, she shouldn't call 911 or bring Mr. C to the hospital yet based on his symptoms, that he can be cared for at home. Um, primary care provider should share education with Mrs. C about how to treat Mr. C at home, thinking about um, Tylenol on a regular basis to get the fever down, um, hydration um, with uh, frequent uh, um, presentation of water and uh, maybe electrolyte maybe through a straw, um, maybe ice chips, waking him every few hours to make sure that he is, is not becoming somnolent, um, and then advising the um, wife to when to bring him to the hospital or call 911. If he becomes unarousable, um, she should call 911. If he's no longer able to get up every two hours and walk to the bathroom, that would be an indication things are getting worse. And if even using the Tylenol does not bring the fever down, fever down then that would be a reason to bring the uh, patient in. Next slide. So other things to think about in talking with Mrs. C is the possibility of testing. Um, testing may depend on location, availability, and accessibility where you're working in your area. For uh, Mr. C, can you actually get him in the car and take him to be tested? Um, is anybody doing home testing here in Los Angeles? I haven't heard about that, but maybe other places that's going on. But remembering that testing for people with dementia presents unique challenges. They not, may not be cooperative um, for swabbing um, or for blood testing. So um, there are unique challenges that to think about when thinking about testing for people with dementia. Uh, in Mr. C's case, I think monitoring progression by having someone follow up every day or two with Mrs. C to see how he's doing, not waiting for her to have to get to the emergency room. Um, and if available, re recommending a home health assessment would be things to think about in this kind of situation. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes a full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated and coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about the current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate 
underscore care.